0: Hey, what's going on, everybody? This is your boy, Jay Mason. Welcome to a very special episode of Beyond the Album Cover. Not only do I interview people within the entertainment music industry, but I interview people from all walks of life, hence the name Beyond the Album Cover is Double Meaning, where we peel back the cover to everyday life, everyday people, everyday situations. Right now on the line with me, I have a very, very good friend of mine who has taken a piece of product that was meant to degrade us and is turning around and flipping it to make it into positivity with his business, Black Cotton. He is known as the Puff Daddy, of the cotton industry. I know him by the government. I'm not going to call him that, so we're going to go ahead and go by Mr. Black Cotton. Thanks for coming off to the podcast, bro.
1: Man, I appreciate the very warm and big intro. Yeah, I'm Mr. Black Cotton, a.k.a. the Puff Daddy of Cotton. Take that, take that.
0: <laughs> yeah, I had to throw that ad a little bit in, man. So how you been holding up with everything due to COVID?
1: Ooh, COVID has been a, a roller coaster for me, man. You know, at the beginning of the COVID season, I had a lot of events that was planned for my business. By the way, I'm the founder of US. check us out online and check us out on social media, Instagram and Facebook and all that. We had a lot of events planned in the beginning. year. of We was going to be in a bunch of cities, like we was going to be in Louisville, we was going to be in Chicago, we was going to be in Baltimore, we was going to be in New York, New Jersey, we was going to be in Atlanta, and all of those events got canceled. So when all the events got canceled, it kind of like put a dent, like in what the how the business usually flows. You know, in about like a month or so afterwards, though, you know, online business really start picking up. So I start talking to a lot more people and start engaging a lot more on social media, and it's just been rollercoastering to really like we got a lot of steam going into this fall. So I'm yep. very thankful right where we had in COVID.
0: Alright, yeah, that's definitely a good thing because I know for other industries that have not been as lucky, you know, especially music with concerts and everything putting on home but it sounds like when the fall comes around, you're going to make up for the lost time during this time because of COVID?
1: Yeah, you know, we used to do a lot of events where we would sell our products, but people have really been engaged with us online. So, you know, we've been selling a lot of products individually with people. So that's a blessing that we don't have to be in places for us to be able to conduct business and people that have a part of our company, Right, is Black Cotton Products. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. So tell the people a little bit about how'd you get into farming, where you grew up, and what led you to to... Take cotton, which had been used to be a stereotype for black people, and to reframe it into a positive narrative.
1: Well, I, I grew up a family farm, you know, in person. You know, my, my dad and grandfather farmed, and I farmed along with them. And uh, we've always raised cotton, peanuts, soybeans, corn, and we always had to have like a row crop. And in the last, I would say, since, like, early 2000, cotton has become really a major roadblock for us in regards to our farm enterprise. So we've always raised cotton, and we always got the conventional price of cotton, and it's really hard to make money in cotton. Like, really, we didn't make much money. We just made enough money to be able to keep our farm. So, you know, as someone who's grown up and, you know, looking at what's entrepreneurial and studying economics in, in college, I really wanted to figure out a new way to make our farm work better and what I realized after farming for a few years is if we're going to raise cotton we should make the prices of our cotton better and then once I started looking at what happened to black cotton farmers like I used to be a lot of black people that raised cotton and then nobody I realized hardly no one was raising cotton anymore I felt like I needed to tell the story about what's happened to the black cotton farmer and also change perspective of how people bought it and how people looked at the product. So that's what pretty much started the concept of Black Cotton. You know, just these factors coming together. And I was thinking we need to market our cotton better. So I just started the business and just started going from there.
0: And for disclosure, audience, me and Mr. Black Cotton, we grew up together pretty much in the same area in North Carolina. So let me paint the scene for those of you that have never been to North Carolina. Rule Northeastern North Carolina to be exact. it's pretty much mm-hmm. sticks, dirt, A lot of people who ran family farms, a lot of mom-and-pop businesses. So pretty much your daddy did it, your granddaddy did it, his dad did it, and on down the line. So while most kids are outside in the summer shooting hoops or playing football, you were outside getting your hands and knees dirty in the field.
1: Yeah, and, you know, I played sports too, but, you know, I also did the farming thing when I wasn't playing sports. You know what I mean? We actually played on a few sports teams together.
0: Oh, yeah, 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 I remember that, man. It's always good to have that nice little balance. And then it was around 10th grade, I believe, you ended up going to the School of Math and Science, correct, and Durham?
1: Yep, that's right.
0: So how was that experience for you coming from our hometown, going to the Bull City, going to a school specializing in math and science, how did that prepare you for going into University of North Carolina?
1: Well, it was just a good opportunity to be around some of the you know, some of the sharpest students in the state, it gave me an opportunity to really like think more critically and understand the value of education, you know, being in that setting where it was so many people trying to go forward education. So. It made me step my game up as a student. It made me you know, had to realize that the time and what's going into like going to college. So I really wanted to make the most of my time in that period. It kind of made me grow up a little bit because um, I realized that if I was going to be away, I might as well make the most of my time while I was there.
0: And now going into Carolina, did you feel that extra weight of it being nationally, internationally known and knowing that, oh, I got accepted to one of the most prestigious schools in the world. So I really really have to be on my A-game now that I'm on this
1: campus. I just thought it was a good opportunity that I could, you know, go to that school. I never really thought I was going to be a student at UNC Chapel Hill growing up, like in Northampton County. But when I was there, I was like, wow, this is a good opportunity to make some powerful networks and, uh, you know, to make some good relationships and, you know, make the most out of the opportunity. I really enjoyed my time there. And, you know, I I just really focused on my schoolwork there because a lot of people didn't know it like while I was there, but I used to go home on weekends just to work on the farm. So. When I was there at Carolina, it was like, you know, enjoy while you're there because I always had them back on my mind that I probably would go home and work on the farm sometimes
0: now, what did you end up majoring in at Carolina?
1: I majored in economics, I wanted to do something business related and they had a starting uh, entrepreneurship program that was starting up. And I was a part of their first uh, entrepreneurship minor program, so and you couldn't be- major in business administration and be a part of the entrepreneurship minor, so economics seemed like the next best thing. And I really liked the economics classes in
0: general. And you always had that mindset of once I got my degree, I was going to go back home, run the farm, and pretty much continue on the family legacy. Well, you
1: know, I didn't know exactly how I was going to do it. You know, I-, I wanted to build my experience up in uh, understanding agriculture, because, you know, growing up, all I knew was just the stuff on the farm. But I didn't have a formal agricultural education. Like I didn't take many vocational classes, so I really felt like I needed to spend some time learning about agriculture and stuff. So going to A and T for a little while for grad school was really good. And then some of the jobs that I had initially and in working in agriculture really helped me understand everything about farm culture and how to be a farmer in general.
0: Now, did you have any mentors that kind of took you under their wing to show you the ropes or go to any other places out of the state to network and get your bearings?
1: Well, i tell you, North Carolina has this event where uh, all the minority Landowner and farmers conference where, like, a lot of the old-timer farmers would come to. And that's a really good place where I got to meet a lot of good black farmers and learn about what they were doing in their different areas across the state. And they have that conference of, you know, different places each year around the state. They didn't have this because of corona. But uh, it's typically a good conference that I go to. North Carolina A&T State University, their uh, extension program has a lot of good workshops. They try to, you know, help connect with black farmers. And they have this uh, small Farms week in March usually. That's a really good week to meet a lot of black farmers. And they have that event across the state each year.
0: And have you had a chance to network with other minority farmers from across the southeast U.S., like Virginia, Georgia, South Carolina, and just kind of swap stories.
1: Yeah, I, I met some really good farmer friends in Virginia. Like that's my buddy Herb Brown. he's with Browntown Farms. He raises strawberries and he makes like like the best strawberry jam. Everybody should go look up Browntown Farms in Virginia. The strawberry jam is excellent. It's like a very good product. He's one farmer I really look up to. Some people are not even farmers, but like, they're like farmer advocates, like, uh, Heber Brown in, um Baltimore, Maryland with the Black Church Food Security Network. I, I really enjoy the work that he's doing with them, and I, I, I've collabed with him a few times to connect, to get some North Carolina farmer products, a black farmer product up to him. Um I like what's, um going on in Durham with the, um uh, Tall Grass Box, and, Black August in the Park, um, Black Farmers Market. I mean, it's a a lot of different groups and farmers that I've really learned a lot from and love working with in the agriculture space.
0: Are you familiar with the show United Shades of America with W. Kamau Bell?
1: Yes, I'm familiar with the show. Yeah, I've seen it a few times.
0: Yeah, he did an episode about two or three weeks ago where he was highlighting the discrepancies between white and black farmers. He went to Oklahoma And he found Mm. a black family that was farming for generations, and they were explaining how in order to get their land cleaned with all the trees and everything, they couldn't rent a bulldozer because they didn't have the money to pay X amount of dollars by the hour, and they had to do it Mm. by hand. And they were saying how for black farmers, your approval for a loan would be sitting on a desk for a little over a year while a white farmer could get approved just like that.
1: Yeah, I've seen it firsthand with my own, with my own eyes, you know. I try not to be someone that complain about my circumstances as much as possible, but there's definitely discretion, uh, uh uh, what's the word I'm looking for? There's a a bias. Yeah, discrimination. There's a bias between how black farmers and farmers of colors and all kinds of limited resource farmers are treated sometimes in the USDA office. And other credit limit uh, creditors as well. So that's something that we need to try to be able to help black farmers with is to be able to receive the same type of credit that uh, other farmers can. But we just that's something we have to continuously work and advocate for.
0: Right. And I was looking at Super Size B2 of Marlon Spurlock. He was opening up his own natural chicken b- shop, like a fast food joint. But he went mm-hmm. to a local farm to get his chickens. But the owners were talking about how they were gobbled up by the big corp. And then they ended up getting saddled with this huge debt. And I'm just thinking about where the farming industry has gone to where it's and you're really not going to see your traditional mom-and-pop farms anymore because they're getting squeezed out.
1: Yeah, the equipment and farming is so expensive, man. You could spend half a million dollars on a tractor, just one tractor, one piece of equipment. And, you know, the limited resource person, the person don't have big money or big access to capital, it's hard for them to be able to complete, compete in this world. That's why, you know, like what I'm doing is finding a, a niche where I don't have to use as much money in machinery to be able to have a business, you know what I'm saying, have a product in the business.
0: Right, because thinking about how before technology and machinery came along, people were outside in the cotton, peanut fields, tobacco fields, cornfields, ticking everything by hand, and now the machines can do it just like that. But like you said, it costs half a million dollars for a tractor, and nobody has half a million dollars lying around for a tractor or the ability to be able to go into a bank to get a loan to make sure you get what you need.
1: Yeah, it's, it's a tough process, man. But, you know, some people are doing well. I mean, some people are, are, are surviving. There's, I'm not the only black farmer. There's plenty of black farmers out there, but it's not as many as it used to be. When I say plenty, I'm talking about maybe hundreds. There ain't tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands of black farmers like it used to be.
0: Right. And also with farming, as you know, weather plays an important part, and growing up in our neck of the woods, the summers can get hot, very brutal, and the drought with no rain could mean trouble for crops, or to get a bad winter, that can mean trouble for crops, so it almost kind of seems like Mother Nature has to play her part in order to help the farmers have a nice harvest so they can turn a profit.
1: A lot of farmers I know go to church. Well try to. Yeah, it takes takes a lot of prayer in this stuff in this game.
0: And also the thing that I'm seeing now with the health conscious movement where everybody's more concerned about what's in my plate, what's being made with my burger or my chicken, is that we have the farm to table movement where hence the name, from the farm to the table. You know that it's natural, you know that it's fresh, no pesticides, no GMOs, chickens are raised cage free, free range. And you're getting good quality meal without all the extra junk that's being put in. So tell me what you think about the movement of everybody being conscious in their food and how's a great time to get into the Co-op
1: produce market game. Oh man, I'm an advocate for uh, healthy foods. Like I've been into this healthy foods movement since probably the early 2010s. Like, you know, in regards to having people, you know, the growth, helping the growth of farmers markets and people connecting to sustainable agriculture. I'm in all a part of that. Like I work on different boards in agriculture that support that type of work. Like, um the administrative council I'm on for Southern Sarah, we do, we give like tens of thousands, tens of millions of dollars grants each year to promote and sustainable agriculture. So that's something I'm fully behind. And, you know, even just like in Northampton County, like I helped started the, uh, the farmer's market in Garysburg And ever since that farmer's market started in Garysburg Garysburg has gone to rise. Like people really believe in their local farmers and doing business locally and getting products that are healthy for them locally. Like, mm-hmm. you know, people don't have trust in the, the food chain like they used to have. So, you know, when they can know where that food is grown and who grew it, that's a deeper connection, and a more likely that the person want to cook it and prepare it.
0: Right, and you have them putting money in the farmer's pocket. But also in that United States episode, they had the a local farmer talking about how when they sell their product to the big box store, they don't get the full profit. They split a small percentage with the big box, and you get squeezed out. So when they sell at a farmer's market, they get to keep 100% of the profit. Now by me moving from North Carolina to New Mexico, I've seen firsthand food deserts out here and back home about how you're not really gonna have a whole foods or Anywhere where you get sustainable food that's of good nourishment, good quality, you're gonna have your McDonald's, KFC, Burger King, something that doesn't promote healthy living, healthy eating, and wellness. And just last week, I was at the local farmers market. They do it up here every Saturday morning from eight to noon, and Tuesday afternoons from four to six. And it is booming, you know, you have people selling meat from their farm, chili, which is the big thing out here, produce, and once again, it's all about supporting local and just knowing what you're putting into your body. So what do you think can be done or should be done, rather, to help promote wellness in terms of eating in our communities where you're not gonna have
1: a whole food on every corner. Well, what I've seen with, uh, Black August in the Park and Durham, they're black farmers markets, you know, it don't, like they say it's black, but really it could just be something that's positive, you know, what they call it, uh, people are color positive, and I think when we market to our cultural, you know, aspects of food, people connect deeper to the food, and they're more likely to want to buy. Cause, you know, some of our traditional farmers markets, there's like, you know, old timey feels that turn people off, like these black um, farmers markets, you can have the right music, the right grooves, and people really are excited about buying the food, and it just it builds a different connection. And that's something I think we want to try to add on to in the future.
0: Mm, and then with the whole movement, the health conscious, how do we balance honoring the past with, you know, soul food? Because while it was not the healthiest food for us, it was what brought everybody together. You know, everybody went to somebody's house. Big Mama was cooking for Sunday dinner. And while it wasn't healthy, it had that love. It had that sense of governance, So how do we reconcile that but also acknowledge, hey, we need to limit our take of this type of food and be able to say we need to incorporate this more as opposed to the junk that was in our diet?
1: I don't believe in moderation. As long as we like do things in moderation is not too bad. Cause some of the soul food is not bad for you, but when you eat too much or you do too much of, uh, anything, that's what the problem begins. Like, you know, sometimes instead of the fried chicken, we can bake the chicken with less soda in it, you know what I mean? Instead of some of the greasy foods, we can replace it with some, you know, vegetables
0: right and i'm gonna give everybody a big secret you ready you ready air fryer air fryer i'm gonna say it again air fryer get your air fryer right put you some seasoning in there get your nice chicken get your brown paper bag shake them up shake them up shake them up shake them like ice cube breaking them up with the 7-eleven you put it in the air fryer let that sucker cook And you have nice fried chicken with all the fat and the grease of the black iron skillet. Uh And it is is good stuff, I'll tell you that. But it doesn't work on seafood, though. Now, for seafood, you got to get your deep fryer and uh, deep fry that. Now, I want to take a little bit of a left turn real quick and seeing everything that's been going on in our country with the murder of Breonna Taylor, George Floyd, Ahmaud Aubrey and the reckoning that's been going on in our country in regards to race, especially in the South, because I was talking with a couple of friends of mine and how I never thought I would see today that NASCAR would say you cannot have to prepare their flag in our venues and you know and I know us coming from North Carolina that NASCAR is headquartered in North Carolina and then around the Charlotte area so what is your take on everything that's been going on in our country in regards to the awakening on race and do you think that we'll see a true truth and reconciliation in this country in regards to the atrocity of
1: in this country. Well, um, I know I, a lot of our issues are very complex in our nation. What I think we should all do is just keep talk, keep the dialogue going, keep the energy of where we're talking, and keep uh, and, and having the energy of you know making sure that justice is coming forward first. Like, I hate the situation with Breonna Taylor, but in this situation, a lot of people are coming together and talking about the injustices. So I feel like from all the situations. You know, we should just keep make sure to keep the energy and the dialogue up for positivity, especially all the way through the election.
0: Yeah, I definitely agree. And I rarely dive into politics on the podcast, but I just want to say vote, 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 vote. vote. Whoever you vote for, vote and make sure you know your local state laws and request your absentee ballots early because we see what's going on and just make sure that you do all that you can to make sure that your voice is heard in November. And what's your take on Joe Biden picking Kamala Harris as his running mate?
1: Well, I'm extremely proud and happy for Kamala Harris and uh, all black women because, uh we definitely need to have black women at the forefront of leadership at this moment. I feel like black women are our best ambassadors in the black community right now. So it only makes sense that we have a black woman to be in a high position of leadership. And I really wish her the best and hope that we can come together and make it work for
0: her. I definitely agree. And I think the glass there, the glass ceiling is just starting to crack. But like I said, we got to make sure we do all that we can to keep your eyes on the prize. Now, have you seen this documentary that came out about two years ago called um, Raising Bertie"?
1: I've heard of it. And I've seen a couple commercials of it. Because I saw that a couple of the boys was raising cotton or uh, working in a cotton uh, farm, right?
0: Uh, Yeah. Um, It came out about two or three years ago. It documented the lives of, I believe it was four boys. In Bertie County, and just looking at that, it just made me realize that when only like a little over an hour from Bertie, had it would have came a little over an hour west of Bertie. That would have been us, and to just kind of see their upbringing and to see the environment, it's no different from when you and I was growing up, man.
1: Yeah, no, I mean it was very familiar to me. I mean Bertie is really close to my farm. So, you know, my farm is east of uh, uh Northampton West where we went to school at. So I'm very familiar with a lot of the stuff that was going on in the, in the documentary. And I'm glad that they, you know, they got a spotlight. But I want to know what was next. Like what was something that can happen positive that, you know, that could help the community from there.
0: Right. And I think about this all the time whenever I see things going on back home. You know, we need a lot more. We still have people in the community that's out and. Mentoring that next generation of youths growing up in the 252, because like when you and I were growing up, we had those older mentors, whether it be an older sibling, older cousin, or an elder that was working in the school system that was there to make sure that I raised her on point, that we stayed out of trouble, had something constructive to do. And I just want to shout out and commend everybody back home, whether it's Halifax, Northampton, Bertie. Herford, Nash, Green, Pitt, Edgecombe, the whole 252, whole North Carolina period, just making sure that they're doing all that they can to make sure that nothing but positivity comes from the Tar Heel State. And you're one of the shining examples, bro, of showing kids from back home that, hey, you can go get an education here. And there's nothing wrong with coming back home and helping and passing on what you learn to that next generation coming up in Gas and Garysburg Jackson, Weldon, Halifax, Scotland, Enfield.
1: That's right. I feel like where are we from? People can be superstars in our community. And I feel like when we was coming along, we was told that to be somebody successful you had to go somewhere else. And you know, it's nothing wrong with going other places and I feel like going other places is great for building, you know, uh valuable skills that you can build back home, but I feel like we can also be able to be successful back home or for back home even if we're not home. So I just wanna make sure that our young people know that we can make opportunities happen where we're from.
0: Right. And I want us to talk about really quick the impact that two people they taught at Gaston Middle School. It was through Teach for America. They had a vision of making sure that the kids from Halifax, North County, had a better quality education, were able to see college when they couldn't even see it in themselves, that Tammy Sutton and Caleb Dolan, they took what was a peanut field turned it into a school and to see all of the kids that matriculated through that school over the years all the colleges that they were accepted to i want us to talk about the impact that they've had on us in our community
1: well uh it's been tremendous i mean i feel like what they started in our community was brought out some of the best results academically in our youth in our area and um you know even with Kip, I don't know if you know this but I'm a board member of the uh, Kip ENC so you know I'm yeah I'm very active in the Kip schools you know in regards to my role as, as a board member and I just want to you know help, I hope that the reason I joined the board particularly was two reasons one um I want to see more African American black males um uh, get into tier 1 universities you know I feel like we should be able to get into the top universities in the country, in the state. And, and nothing against HBCs. I feel like those are our top universities as well. But I want to make sure that some of our African-American males can get into these top universities, especially when these universities can profit so much off of black be- bodies on sports. And the second reason I joined the board was because uh, one of our dear close um, classmates, Garabelle, she was so heavily involved with Kip from the beginning and to be a school leader that, um, you know, was in the area, in Northampton area, and then she went to Durham and helped with a school leader there. And to pass away at an early age, I just felt like it was important for me to try to carry on some of the thought processes and values that I know she had in academics.
0: Yeah, yeah, man, that was so sad when I when I heard about what happened. But it's good to see that you are um, picking up the torch and you're doing what you can't support the youth. Now, you mentioned how a lot of these PWIs prospect off of the back of black bodies. We know that wasn't a mistake because, you know, once integration happened, a lot of these schools said, hmm, I can go get this guy from this area and he'll bring me money. And we're starting to see now some of the younger recruits started to wake up and say, I'm going to go play ball for Howard instead of going to Carolina or Duke. And do you think we'll see more young athletes exercising their Newfound ability to say, I'm not gonna just be a pawn. I'm gonna do this and I'm gonna make my own money from it and not just be grateful for a four year scholarship. I wanna get paid while doing it.
1: Well, to be very honest with you, I do think that more young athletes are going to choose HBCUs and not just HBCUs, but smaller regionalized schools in general because if once you make your name known, like with social media right now, If you're popular before you get to a college, what's to say that college makes you even more popular? Like, for instance, Zion was very popular before he went to Duke University, and Duke definitely helped his popularity once he got to Duke. But who's to say that Zion couldn't have been just as popular at any university he went to?
0: Right. They definitely have more power than the recruits of 20, 30 years ago. And then I sit back and think about all the talent. In all sports that came out of the years from two five two, from Brandon Ingram out of Kenton, Kobe White out of Goldsboro, Todd Gurley out of Tarboro, Montres Harrell out of uh Leggett went to North Edgecombe for two years at Jerry Styles. out of Kenton. Bam out of bio from Little Washington. Tommy Wilkins from Little Washington. So the two five two have always had talent athletically, and it's good to see that. Our area of the state is getting put on center stage.
1: Absolutely, it is coming to our as our time now in regards to athletics. You know, I think at one time the small town boy it was really hard for him to be seen, but with the internet now. People hear about the messages, and people get to connect a lot better. So if your talent's there and people see it, it's no denying it. You know what I mean?
0: Right. It's more of the same way. If you're good, they'll find you. And then definitely got to shout out uh, one athlete from the 252 that really did his thing, came out of Southern Nash from Bailey, North Carolina, was a two-sport star at Carolina, recently retired about two or three seasons ago from the Panthers, and will be a lock. But Kenton, when he becomes eligible, Julius Tucker.
1: Yes, man, a legend. We have so much talent in northeast North Carolina. It's incredible.
0: Yeah, man, because I was speaking with my dad who played back in the day when Gaston High and Gumberry were still two separate schools. He was saying that there were a lot of athletes from our area that could have went on to play big-time college ball, but the resources weren't there. But we had the like of uh, Cedric, last name was was it Harris, I want to say? D.J. yeah Yep, Harris. Really? Uh-huh. D.J. Harris, um, from Weldon ended up playing in the league NFL for a couple of years, played for the Patriots on that Super Bowl team that lost to the Bears. Then you had Delaney Rudd, who ended up playing in the NBA for a couple of years. And then you had um, Kentron Palmer, yeah, for- ended up playing for the 49ers.
1: Yeah. And That's a lot of there's,
0: talent. Yeah, there's a lot of talent. There's another person who – ended up getting drafted. I can't say off the tip of my tongue, but it's getting me right now. But also, currently, we have Rufus Crossan, who won a Super Bowl Mm -hmm. with the New England Patriots and is currently playing for the Houston, Texas. So, Even though I wasn't a Patriots fan, I was so happy to see Keon win that Super Bowl.
1: Yeah, man. And, you know, while we're talking about sports, I I can't let us forget this. You know, I want to give a shout out to our coach, Lee, who just passed away. Coach Titus Lee, you know, yeah. he was monumental in our community for sports. And you know, he played at NC State. I mean, he taught us how to practice every day. Yeah, you know what he what taught, I mean? us,
0: taught us to go hard all the time. I can still hear that whistle to this day. Takeoff, we'll be running. And that's the thing that I think is missing. Ment- mentors like – Coach Lee, like, Coach Hastie, rest in peace, like, Coach mm-hmm. Grady, uh Coach Jerome, Coach Carlson, like, on the basketball and for you, Coach White, um, mm. like, for the ladies, Miss Ballard, shout out Dean, you know, all mm. of those community figures that helped shape and mold us and i know mm-hmm. that it is our responsibility as the next generation to be able to part that wisdom onto the kids coming up and saying hey you may or may not take this with a grain of salt but just listen to what i have to say man
1: absolutely man
0: and i think that's what made growing up in our hometown so special because to set it up for everybody that's unfamiliar uh, with our area originally our elementary schools were separate gaps yeah? Squire Elementary School in Gaston was where I went to, and you had Garrisburg Elementary School, which was another elementary school in Northampton County. And all of us, we didn't end up going to school together until sixth grade. And do you remember when we went to middle school orientation? How it was kind of like games where the Squire clique was sitting on one side, Garrisburg clique was sitting on the other side of the, of the gym.
1: Yeah, I remember those days, man. It's funny. <laughs> I love middle school.
0: Yeah, man. So it was like everybody met and ended up clicking with each other and now remember in PE it's like every basketball game you guys would play, it would be Gaston versus Garysburg all the time. All the time. All the time, Gaston versus garysburg and then to think about the recent success that the North Carolina High Jaguars have had the past couple of years with a deep run in the state playoffs about two years ago, and then last year ended up finishing runner up in the state just to see them build on what Coach Hasty did with that 05 team and to take it even further. I got a feeling in the next couple of years, we're going to have a championship in Northampton County for football.
1: Book it. I feel it. I feel it as well. I want to say in the next few years.
0: Mm-hmm. And I was. Definitely disappointed when um, COVID shut down the high school girls basketball championship because I really wanted Coach Grady to get that W, win that ship for Weldon.
1: Man, I know, man. They had the team to win it, too.
0: Yeah, man. And um, even though that we all had rivalries with different high schools, Run Rapids, Northwest, Southeast, Halifax, and it's still one big community because, you know, our town isn't but so big. So everybody know everybody.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, do you, and it's all support. Do you remember the local TV channel, like the local news? Mm-hmm. Man, that was like a big highlight of our childhood. I, I remember that vividly.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I remember when um, TV20 would come to the football games at West and would do um, sports talk. And I can remember it being... The highlight either that or playing kill the man behind the stands and another big thing that a lot of people especially in that area would get super hyped for would be the daily hurl christmas basketball tournament that was really the highlight of the area because you had all of our area high schools and north carolina but we also brought local area schools from Southeast Virginia, like Brunswick County, Virginia, uh, Mecklenburg County, Virginia, but Parkview High, and some of the other schools in Virginia. And I always found it kind of odd that that was the only time that the basketball teams in our area will end up playing Virginia schools, but we never played them in football, and I always found that odd.
1: Mm-hmm. That some good times, man. I ain't gonna lie to tell you. Very good competition, and everything was up really high. And you know, I still see a lot of that in the youth. And you know, I think that's something we try to keep up is you know keep our youth involved, and hopefully this corona period will end soon so the youth can keep playing their sports.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, in southeastern Virginia, you know, had talent on the basketball front. You had Brian Stiff, who was the coach at Brunswick County for years, ended up playing professionally in the league with the Denver Nuggets. You had the late Jerome Kersey. Who was from Bluestone, Virginia, ended up playing on those Blazers teams of the early 90s with Clyde Drexler and uh, Terry Porter. Then you have, uh, the new generation, uh, I believe, the kid named Kelvin Johnson, I want to say. He ended up playing at Parkview for a good minute, ended up getting recruited to play with, for Coach Calipari at Kentucky.
1: They ended up getting mm.
0: drafted by the Spurs.
1: Oh nice. I, I didn't even know he played a part View.
0: Yeah, he played at Parkview for I think maybe two years and maybe transferred to like one of those prep schools, and then ended up going to Kentucky, got drafted by the Spurs, and then another connection with Northeastern North Carolina. Uh he just recently passed away, the late Herman Boone from Remember the Titans on uh, who coached at T C Williams. He originally coached at the All Black High School at the time in Williamson, north carolina but he was from rocky mount
1: wow i didn't know that
0: yeah coach Boone was from rocky mount and then to also think about you know harris jay how he came from rocky mount and ended up mm-hmm. going to 106 in park and acting and just being a full-on entrepreneur and to even bring it even closer to home with us being so close to virginia we had Trey Songs from Petersburg take off mm-hmm. and become a huge star. Chris Brown from Pampahannock, Virginia, not that far from Richmond, you know, take off and just, just kind of crazy to be in the midst of when everything was swirling around North Carolina wise and Virginia wise and to say like, man, if these people from this part of North Carolina and Virginia can make it, then I can make it too. That's right. That's right. And I think that is important for kids around home to see because you don't think that, hey, I can make it. I'm from a poor rural area where there's nothing but sticks and dirt. But if you put the work in, you can make it. I mean, look at Rhapsody.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's um. Snow Hill.
0: Yep, Snow Hill, North Carolina, I mean, how, you know, she's one of the top MCs, not just female, but MCs, period. Across the board released a critically acclaimed album, Rhapsody, which was one of my top albums of 2019, and then Little Brother dropped the album last year, Made a Lord Watch. That was a dope record, and... I want to touch on Little Brother really quick that when I first went to UNCG, when I was working at the radio station, that was my first time ever hearing of Little Brother. And I just thought that they were so dope. I mean, from the listening to the menstrual show and the thing that they were doing it at a time when social media wasn't as big like it is now. I mean, people were still getting their stuff via message boards. So to think had Little Brother came out by in social media now, I think they would have gotten the commercial acclaim that they so richly deserved.
1: I agree, and I just think they had the wrong perspective about things. Like, I feel like they didn't see the good that could possibly happen in their raps. They rapped about not making it, and I wish they would have rapped more about making it. And that's why I see that the young people do differently. You know, they they make themselves so much larger than what they are because they see the future. You know what I'm saying?
0: Mm-hmm. And then we got J. Cole out of Fayetteville. We got The Baby out of Charlotte. We got DJ Luke Nasty out of Greensboro. Shout out to Wiley Coyote and others records. And then another big monumental moment happened a couple of months ago in Raleigh where Chris Lee, sportscaster from WXII out of Western Salem, he became the lead sports anchor at WRAL. And he is the first African American sports anchor in WRL history.
1: Wow. I'm a big fan of Chris Lee. He actually gave me my first interview for Black Cotton, like first big interview for Black Cotton.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I know, and I think I might have told you, but. Chris and I, we went to school together.
1: Uh Uh-huh. I remember he telling me that, like, when we did our interview, you know?
0: Yeah, we went to school together. We were roommates, so, you know, to see his journey from UNCG to...
1: Oh, wait, that was room?
0: Yeah, we were roommates for for two years at UNCG. So, yeah, so to see his journey, I can't be nothing but proud to see where he's at now. But, yeah, we were roommates as well, in addition to college classmates.
1: Man, that's crazy. That's a small world, because Chris is big time, man. And, like, he gave me that interview, and that was, like, awesome. You know, and kind of helped put me on the map.
0: Yeah, man. And speaking of putting on the map, how did you end up getting your feature in Now This? It's crazy. They just, one of their producers just reached out to me
1: on Instagram and, you know, told me he liked my story. And I was like, okay. And he was like, we want to do a story with you from Now This. And I was like, cool. And we did an interview, and he, and he pretty much took rest of the pictures from my Instagram and made that story. And it was like it's kind of blowing up in many ways.
0: Mm-hmm. So, you've been experiencing a lot of uh, traffic onto the website, and people wanted to learn more about Black Cotton since now this?
1: Yeah, man. Like, definitely had hundreds of followers fall follow through. And a lot of people contacted me, so I'm just trying to stay on top of that.
0: Yeah, that's definitely a good thing, because when I first saw the piece, I immediately repost because I always do that whenever somebody from back home is, you know, doing something positive and to know that I have a close connection with you. To see that, it just made me feel good to see, hey, my friend from back home is really out there doing something really big and then another person who I want to mention. He may be small in stature, but he's big in the way that he goes and carries himself and his hard for people, and that's little Elijah. You know who I'm talking about, right?
1: Yeah, the Elijah uh. Lee? Yeah,
0: sir. Yeah, sir. Uh. When I saw Marvel's Cheryl Project on Disney+, I was looking at it with my wife, and I kid you not, I got choked up watching it.
1: Uh-huh.
0: I got choked up because to see this young man come from our hometown and the stage that God has allowed him to put his cell phones to be able to motivate, inspire, uplift. It was just heartwarming to see, man, to see somebody that young from our area make such a huge impact on the world.
1: Yeah, man, I'm really proud of the way he got, you know, got into that platform and really he took took it off with it, you know, really put his best foot forward. And that's what we got to do with our opportunities, make sure we take advantage of them.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, you got to make sure you be prepared for your opportunity or to put it in the terms of harvesting, you got to prepare to harvest so you can get ready for the rain so that when the rain comes, it can sprout out your big opportunity to showcase yourself.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm
0: Mm-hmm. Now, tell the people a little bit about your Black Cotton website and some of the products that you offer.
1: Well, on the Black Cotton website, which is www.blackcotton.us, you can go there and you'll see a little bit about our story, about why we do what we do with our cotton, and then um, in our um Shop area, you will see different products for home decor like bouquets, vase arrangements, wreaths. You even see some of our merchandise like our t-shirts. A variety of different products. All of them come from our Black Cotton, you know, office and um controlled by us. You know, the people closest to the cotton field.
0: Mm-hmm. And once again, the website is blackcotton.us. Go show support by the merch, by the decor. Definitely get some cotton in your life because it is. The fabric of our lives. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Now, tell everybody a little bit about the Land Ethics Podcast.
1: Now, the Land Ethics Podcast, this is a podcast that I do part of my nonprofit work with the Black Family Land Trust. I'm the North Carolina State Coordinator for Black Family Land Trust. And um basically, with the uh, Black Family Land Trust, we're trying to keep Black Family uh, landowners, uh, Black Family farms, Sustainable and keep them going, you know, to the next generation. So we're a conservation organization that try to conserve black land, black owned land. And through this podcast, it's hosted by me, Mr. Black Cotton, D. Twin, uh, JD the Barber, Big Homie Jeff. We typically get up for episodes, Uh, we talk about hot topics in the community, and we try to have different people on that talk about environmental issues, um, rural issues. We're just trying to give black rural voices a platform where their voices can be amplified.
0: All right. And where can people hear your podcast?
1: You can go to soundcloud.com backslash land-ethics, E-T-H-I-C-S.
0: All right, definitely go there, check them out, leave a like, show them some love. And do you have any shout-outs you want to give before we conclude this interview and also plug your social?
1: I want to give a shout-out to the whole home team, like everybody that's involved with the Black Cotton Movement. That's all of my supporters across the country. I want to give a a definite shout-out to the A-Team that helps make these products happen. I want to give a shout-out to the whole Tillery Family Farm, everybody that's involved with our farm and all the family the 252, uh, Roanoke Valley, all my peoples here in the Rono Valley and all my peoples in Durham, you know, the Tar Heels, uh, the Black Unicorns, uh, just give a shout out to all my people connected to everything we're doing Black Cotton. And you want to check us out on Instagram at blackcotton.us. And our website, again, is www.blackcotton.us. Please come check us out. We have, you know, a lot of good things happening.
0: All right. Once again, the website is www.blackcotton.us. And this interview, along with past episodes of Beyond the Album Cover, can be heard on Anchor, Breaker, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, Apple, and just got added onto Overcast.fm to go to any of those streaming platforms, type in Beyond the Album Cover, you can hear those interviews. Ladies and gentlemen, once again, my good friend from the 252, we go back like babies in pacifiers almost, man, Mr. Black Cotton. Mr. Black Cotton, thank you very much for coming on to the podcast, bro.
1: Thank you for everybody for listening. Um, thank you for you for doing what you do.
0: I uh, appreciate it.